1: the second annual Cactus Jack HBCU Classic is set to make its return to Minute Maid Park on Friday, February 16th through Sunday, February 18th. The field will feature Houston area's Prairie View A&M and Texas Southern University, plus Southern University, Grambling State, Jackson State, and Alcorn State University. Get your tickets, rep your colors, and get ready for a weekend of baseball and events. For tickets and more information, visit astros.com slash HBCU Classic today.
2: Welcome back to another special edition of Astro Line on Sports Talk 790, your home for the Houston Astros. My name, of course, is Jeff Blum, former Astros ball player and current broadcaster for the Space City Home Network. You've also heard me on 790 a lot with the A team and on other broadcasts as well. But tonight, we bring you a tremendous show as the Astros just wrapped up the 2024 Fan Fest at Minute Maid Park. It was great seeing all of you there as it always is, and we're all excited about this upcoming season. So we also, during that time of Fan Fest, got a huge announcement. One of the key free agents on the market was a power left-handed arm of Josh Hader, and the Astros signed him to a five-year deal, so he will be putting that blue and orange back on, but this time in a big league uniform. Remember, he was drafted 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 as an Astro a long time ago, was traded away to the Milwaukee Brewers, but here he has found himself right back home where he should be, and he is only going to make a strong bullpen stronger. Remember, the Astros led the American League in strikeouts per nine innings, right around 10, and you bring in Josh Hader, who is a guy who is usually around 15 strikeouts per nine innings. So it is going to be a lot of electricity and a great ability to shut out wins when you go Abreu, Presley, and now Josh Hader. So it's a lot of fun looking forward to this. And obviously, pitchers and catchers will be reporting on Thursday, February 13th. So if you're into Valentine's Day and baseball, this matches up beautifully for you. So here we go, 12 days until we get to that uh, February 13th. Plenty more to come on this special edition of Astro Line as we highlight the Astros 2024 Fan Fest. Steve Sparks sits down with Hunter Brown, J.P. France, and the Astros' new first base coach and good friend, actually ex-interim manager that I played for, and I'm so glad he's back because he's a huge asset, great coach, and great personality. Dave Clark will be manning first base for the Astros, and they're going to discuss their journey to the majors. But first... We've got a very special treat as our very own Francisco Romero, the Astros Spanish broadcasting team, sits down with a true legend and pioneer of Spanish language radio, Rene Cardenas. Rene will be inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame this summer in very distinguishing fashion at Minute Maid Park. Stick around. A lot more to come on this very special edition of Astroline on Sports Talk 790.
3: Memberships for the 2024 Buddies Club presented by HEB are on sale now. Children 12 and under will receive tickets to select Astros games during the 2024 season, a reversible bucket hat, backpack, socks, and lanyard, plus the opportunity to be selected for exclusive Buddies Club experiences, including the chance to meet Houston Astros players, all for only $40. Don't miss your chance to be part of the club today. Visit astros.com buddies to join.
1: Spring training is back in the Palm Beaches this spring. Experience Astros baseball, plus the best beaches, dining, and entertainment after the game. There's nothing better than Astros spring ball in sunny Florida. For tickets and more, visit astros.com slash spring to book your trip. Plan your visit now to the spring training home of the Houston Astros. The Palm Beaches.
4: Once again, welcome to Minute Maid Park and our 2024 Astros Fan Fest. One of the highlights of our Fan Fest are the Fan Forums, which have occurred all throughout the day so far today. And we got another one for you right now, a, a rather interesting one, if you will, as we send it on down to the Fan Forum stage. You're invited, by the way, to come up and join us up close and personal down the third base line. so pull up a chair there. Our fifth Fan Forum today, kind of... Uh, Takes you along the road, if you will. Our very own uh, Astros Radio Network broadcaster, Steve Sparks, heads this forum. He sits down with Astros pitchers J.P. France and Hunter Brown, as well as Astros first base coach, Dave Clark, who we're very happy to welcome back to the fold. They're on hand to discuss their journey to the majors. Good afternoon once again, Sparky.
5: Thank you, Bob Ford. I appreciate it. and Thank you, fans, for being here. I don't know if there's anything else going on in the city right now, but uh, it's a lot of fun talking about baseball this time of year, and especially for this franchise. I want to introduce the guy in the middle first, and that's Dave Clark. A lot of you fans will remember Dave uh, as an Astro player, as a former coach, and even as a manager uh, for part of one season. So Dave Clark, it's great to have you back in the fold.
6: Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this season and um, looking for some good things to happen. But it's so so good to be back in Houston.
5: Since the last time you were here, this organization's just a tad bit different. (laughs) The level of talent in the clubhouse has changed just a little bit. So I think you're going to have a lot of fun.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I got a chance to see that when I was in Detroit.
5: (laughs) Of course, on the far side is J.P. France. What a great rookie season it was for J.P. And the same goes for Hunter Brown. So, these two guys uh, are the future of this team's rotation. And this team's really going to depend on these guys, just like a Kyle Tucker. A lot of these guys we've watched is progress, get better each and every year. And it's going to be no time before you guys are the salty veterans in that clubhouse and guys are looking to you. I want to ask you, I'll ask you first, JP. You spent a little while in the ma- in the minor leagues. Uh, I know a little bit about that. I spent 10 years as a minor leaguer. It's a grind. And you don't know if you're gonna get to the big leagues, you don't know if you're good enough to pitch in the big leagues, or at least you're not sure. What was it like for you working your way up through the organization?
7: Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a grind for sure. I didn't uh, quite meet that 10 year mark that you did. I had six. But um, no, grind's the perfect word, man. Like I've told people before in, in 2019, I, I about hung them up because I was struggling. I didn't know where I fit in with the organization. And um, that's, that's got a lot to do with my wife. She, she kind of drugged me back down, um, called me down. So after that, um, we obviously had that COVID year. So I was like, okay, this could go one or two ways. Um, I could make the most of this and kind of revamp everything or just kind of say okay we'll figure stuff when spring training comes back the next year Um, so I feel like I took really good advantage of that that was one of the best things that happened to me and then the rest is history I was able to revamp my whole mechanics what what everybody sees now nobody kind of knows how I used to pitch before COVID So, yeah, it was definitely a grind, a lot of work, but it definitely paid off and was more than I ever could have hoped for last year. Dave, when he's talking about making wholesale
5: changes almost as a minor leaguer, and you've coached a lot of minor leaguers, you played in the minors, you played in the majors, how sure are you that you're making the right changes? You never really are certain, are you?
6: You really aren't. You know, things change, from day to, things change from day to day. You know, there's the mental grind, physical grind. I just looked at it this way. It just makes you tougher. It makes you want even more. And as a
5: coach, how do you earn the trust of a player to make those changes and, and to trust in those?
6: Let them play. I just let them play. Let them be themselves. No. Don't try to put too much pressure on them put them in uh, uh, places where they have the success.
5: Talked to Hunter Brown, and he went to Wayne State, and it's a little university just on the outskirts of downtown Detroit, and the Astros signed you, and I remember when they signed you, they were talking about some of the numbers. Analytically, they liked a lot of the things you did. Did it take a while for you to buy into what they were telling you, or did you already know you had some talent?
8: <laughs> um, well, I had heard about how good the Astros were at developing talent, um, and then once I got got my foot in the door and got you know a chance to see all the analytical stuff and the videos and things like that, I mean it was pretty easy to buy into the into the changes that they wanted me to make. But like you said, you know I knew I, I had some ability, and I was just trying to capitalize on that.
5: JP, when you're coming up through the system with the Astros, I would imagine you're looking and saying, man, they've got so many stars on this team and they're in contention every year. How am I going to fit into this? How do you not let your mind wander?
7: Absolutely, Um, because obviously as everybody knows, when you have a good organization or a good major league club, um, if nobody's struggling, nobody's going down, that means nobody can go up. So I think for me, the biggest change I had mentally was just control what you can control. Um, when you start focusing on all the stuff that, that's out of your reach, the, the guys in the front office, what other guys are doing, you, when you start focusing on that, you start driving yourself nuts, man. Um, so just being able to control what I can control, it, it's definitely helped me out a lot more.
5: You hear a lot of players say that, Dave. It's like, okay, I, I can't let all this outside noise get into my routine or, or what I'm trying to accomplish. How do you do that as a player? When you were a player, how did you go about your business and not worry about what other teams and what other players were doing?
6: Well, just like what JP said, you can only control what you can control. Yeah. Um, as long as I had an opportunity to play, I felt like I had the ability to uh, to be able to move up, to put up some good numbers, to take uh, have the organization take notice of me. And if not them, heck, it was 27 or 28 more that was looking at me as well. So you just can't just play for the team that you're playing for, the organization you're playing for. You wanna just have success, of course, but go out and bust your butt and somebody else is gonna see it as well. Because at the big league level, we know that's always trades, and sometimes you can be involved in a trade. So if you go out and take care of the things that you can take care of, good things will happen.
5: I wanna ask you this, and I experienced this and I I hit a wall my rookie year. I mean, I, I hit it hard. And I don't know how you guys push through those walls. And I know you don't have any other choice, but just to go out there and grind it out. But the major league season is a month longer than the minor league season. And you throw a lot of innings. You throw a lot of pitches, a lot of workouts, a lot of bullpen sessions. What did that last month feel like to you this year in your first year as a major leaguer?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think it was um – you know just kind of accumulation of the entire year like you said the travel all the workouts and things like that and obviously it's um like an uncharted territory for you so it it was a new thing for me and something that I had to uh, just work through and you know rely on my teammates coaches training staff to you know try and be ready for the playoffs too because you know we were we knew we were a playoff team and you know then I ended up getting slided to the bullpen and you know that, that kind of helped me, too, because, you know, it took a little bit of the weight of, like, hey, I need to go six, seven innings tonight. So I just need to be available and, and give my best for as long as I can.
5: JP, uh, whenever you're pitching in a game and things are going well early on, how do you go out there? Say if you give up three runs in the first inning, you know, you've built yourself up for five days to try to get, you know, a great outing, and things don't go well in the first inning. How do you go about giving the team another five or six innings of of goose eggs to to try to get them deeper in the game?
7: So the first part of this is when I was in college, one of our pitching coaches said, you have about 30 seconds to pout. And then once that 30 seconds is up, you got to get over it. Um, And then once the inning's over, get back in the dugout, I'll go and do my 30 seconds or whatever I have to do and then just tell myself look it's over with we got we got to start a fresh new inning because if you start letting what already happened affect what's going to happen you you're, you're going to be in trouble yeah so i think that also ties into control what you can control that's over with so let's let's move on let's go to the second take it one pitch one inning at a time I like the fact that, I mean, he gives you those 30 seconds, though. I mean, that's almost
5: therapeutic in itself, isn't it? Right, right. All right, Dave, the the game's changed a ton. And a lot of it for the good, and a lot of it's just different. But what have you seen in the way the game's played now that's big-time different from when you played?
6: Well, (laughs) it's so much, like you said. Uh, I think more so the numbers are magnified yep. or looked at more so than before. I mean, when I came up with this, like, you know, you, guys who hit a, bat, a high average are going to stay around a long time. Guys that hit a lot of home runs are going to stay a long, around a long time. Guys that didn't strike out a lot was going to stay around a long time. But now it seems like things are being substituted. You know, guys are giving up average for power. Uh, the strikeout rates have gone up. Now, there's still some complete ball players out there, but I do see that from the, the offensive office. side. Um, You know, now that the ship is gone, it's it's starting to look a little bit like real baseball again, the baseball that I played when I was coming up. But there is a lot of difference.
5: For you, Hunter, I mean, coming through this game, and a lot of people don't have maybe your stuff, you know, or the the ability to strike people out at the rate that you do, how do you fall or how do you make sure you don't fall into that uh, trap of trying to strike too many guys out? Are you trying to make guys swing and miss every pitch? Or are you trying to get soft contact? How, how is it going? How does it play in your mind?
8: Well, I've never seen anybody strike out somebody before they got to two strikes. So really, until you get there, you know, a swing and a miss really isn't, you know, it's the same as a foul ball before you have two strikes. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's kind of dictates based on the game, you know, if, you know, if, say there's a guy on third with less than two outs, you probably need to get that strike out or, you know, if there's guys on first and second, one out, you're probably looking for a double play. So all that kind of dictates. But, yeah, I mean, I do love striking people out, and that is that is a goal that, you know, as a pitcher, you're trying to do.
5: A lot less risk when you strike them out, right? You don't have to worry about your defense or anything uh, or guys hitting them where they're not. JP, what have you learned as a major leaguer this year that you never really learned throughout the minor league system? is do anything stick out to you? Don't make a mistake.
7: In uh, <laughs> yeah. um, AAA, if you make a mistake, you can probably get away with that a little more, but with, with these guys and the talent up here, if, if you make a mistake for the most part, it's, from what I've, I've experienced, is that it's going to get hit far or hard. Um, so just being able to mentally lock in every single pitch and try to execute to the, to the best of my ability.
5: Dave, what was it like for you when you were playing in the big leagues to face somebody that was maybe somebody you looked up to a lot before you got to the major leagues? Maybe you faced a future Hall of Famer. Like everybody, I think, has those pinch me moments when they're out on the field just going, "Okay, I I got to put that out of my mind. But you remember a couple of those?
6: Yeah, it did happen. Uh, When I first got to the big leagues, I I mean, I grew up out of lines with Reggie Jackson. And I got a chance to play against Reggie his his last couple years uh, as a player. But it was a situation where, okay, yeah, I love Reggie as a player, but I'm competing against Reggie today. So I got that out of my head right away. You know, I'm, I'm playing at that particular time with the Cleveland Indians, and he's with the California Angels. So... I wasn't playing against Reggie, I was playing against the Angels, so I had to get that out of my mind and just go out and do what I can do to help my ball club with. So you get over that ah moment and just go back to playing baseball.
5: Hunter, did you have any of those moments? Have you faced a player or two where you're just going, maybe Miguel Cabrera, somebody who played in your hometown of Detroit, guys like that that you faced?
8: Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to face Miggy, but, you know, seeing him on the field and watching him, it did bring out that, that little kid in me, you know, especially when uh, we finished the year, or towards the end of the year in Detroit. And, um, you know, they had all his milestones number on the, on the outfield and stuff like that. So um, it was really special, but I just really wanted to win. So, you know, I was kind of hoping he got out a couple times.
5: <laughs> what was it like in the minor leagues for you? I know you're married... You have a baby now. You've got one on the way, JP. But you don't get paid a lot of money. The travel's not as nice, certainly not as glamorous. But going through the minor leagues, tell everybody what that's like. It's a little lonely sometimes, and it's a little tough. But uh, it's baseball still, isn't it?
7: Yeah, it's it's still baseball. But to have that support system got little man running around um it definitely it almost calms me down but it gives me more of a purpose like okay there's there's more to life than just baseball like it doesn't matter if i have a great game or if i had a terrible game liam was just big smiles here just happy to see me so it definitely made my focus shift more towards family, but that also gave me more of a purpose to, okay, let's lock it in. Let's let's get the job done so we can get to that end goal of getting up here. So for me, by having a wife, baby, and, and little one, it's definitely helped me out more than stressing me out by having something extra off the field. We'll be back with more of
5: Ashline fan fest at minute Mae park in the middle of january hear all that happened there right after another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking
9: app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
5: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dave Clark as an Astro player, as a former coach, and even as a manager uh, for part of one season. So, Dave, did you find that? I mean, when you were having kids, when you were playing baseball, did it help you to focus a little more at the ballpark? because you got to take your mind off of it for a little while?
6: You no know, doubt about it. Uh, it it's, it's like, you know, you're not just playing for you anymore, you're trying to support a family now. You know, I wanted my girls to grow up and have the best of the best. And I knew that in order for me to do that, it was gonna be me being a breadwinner and going out and just doing what I, what I do best, that's play baseball and, and hopefully get a chance to play at the big leagues. And I was lucky enough to, to do it and stay up there for a long time. But it's not easy, I can tell you, when you're in the minor leagues and having kids. You know there is a, it's a somewhat of a distraction. But the fact is, you know, when you go home, it's time to be dad. You know, when you get to the ballpark, you're a baseball player. So you got to find a way to separate it.
5: Hunter, did you find it uh, with the major leagues? In the major leagues, that the travel is a little bit easier. In the minor leagues, it's different. <clears throat> For some of the people who don't know, I mean, you're taking a lot of five 30 in the morning flights to try to get to some other hub city to get to your next place. And sometimes a couple hours later you're strapping it on and playing a, a game. So that's hard in the minor leagues just to feel physically ready to play a baseball game sometimes, isn't it?
8: Yeah. Um, actually when I was in AAA, we had the, we had the nice six games, uh, series in the week. So we had every Monday off, you know, we knew we were traveling on Mondays, things like that. Um, but in the big leagues, yeah, I mean, the, the flights and stuff like that are better, but you're, you know, you're in and out of cities, which which is different. But, you know, it's still it's still the big leagues. Everything is still still way better and nicer. And obviously that's what you're shooting for. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been great.
5: JP, physically, what do you have to do to stay on top of your game physically
7: to be a pitcher and to be durable? It's a weird line, right? You can't do too much because, especially as a starter, you're going to drain yourself, especially with throwing a uh, hundred and fifty plus innings in a season. But at the same time, you have to make sure you do enough to be able to go those five, six, seven innings in a game. So, I feel like for a for a starter, you definitely have to make sure your legs are under you. If if your legs give out as a pitcher, you you're opening up some injuries to possibly your your shoulders and stuff. Um, So I definitely feel like you have to keep your legs under you for sure. But again, making sure you're not draining yourself. But like the day after, you can kind of go pretty hard in the weight room because you still got those four days to be able to recover. Um, But usually we'll go two two lifts. And then that second one is kind of just like uh, maintenance. Just making sure everything's feeling good for your bullpen and then your start one or two days later. David is a coach
5: and a manager. What's your style?
6: Very aggressive. I wanted things, I wanted the game played the right way. Uh, You have to understand players that they're going to make mistakes. Uh, You don't harp on the mistakes, you correct them. Uh, You work on the things that uh, you need to work on as far as your weaknesses, but you also want to maintain your strengths. And it's, it's up to the coaches and the managers to make sure that they have these conversations with the players. I think when you open up the players and let players know that you care about them, you care about their careers, and you in this with them, I think they're going to get a lot out of that. They're going to respect you more. They're going to trust you more, and, and they're going to bust their bus for you. So that's the thing for me, you know, just making sure that you win that trust and that you're honest with him. Because as a player, that's all I ever wanted from my coaches, my managers, just to tell me the truth. If I can't do something, you tell me I can't do it. But granted, I'm going to show, out, show you, come back and show you that I can. But the fact is, he was man enough to tell me, and I respected that. Very nice. Um,
5: Joe Espada is the new manager uh you had a great manager your first couple years i know you got close to dusty went fishing with him a few times right the transition to a new manager having already know know him and to respect him and to like him is going to help you guys i think what what do you think
8: yeah i think yeah i think you're absolutely right i think it should be seamless because you know joe's been around the organization um, and been around the players for a long time now um, you know, I don't, he's been the bench coach for a while, so I think the guys are really comfortable. But you know, Dusty Dusty was a living legend that I that I learned to love, and uh, you know, got a lot of great experiences with him, both both just in in baseball and in life. Um, so you know, I'm looking forward to expanding my relationship with Joe and and playing for him. JP, not everybody gets an opportunity to pitch in the
5: playoffs. To play in the playoffs or to experience that atmosphere atmosphere and you always i I think as a kid you're always wanting to be out there in those moments but you're never really sure how you're going to feel you know because that television's on you and everybody's watching you what's that like i mean do you guys it feels like it's almost commonplace because you guys have done it so much for guys to do it for the first or second time though
7: what's that feel like I mean, it was it was awesome, for sure. It was a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, What'd you learn? Just to learn how to calm myself down in those environments, um, to just keep telling myself, you know what, it's it's another game. You're just going out there. You're doing the same thing that you've done for the whole season. Yeah. And I feel like if you go out there and you add this thought, well, I have to do this. I need to get this done. Now you're just adding more pressure to an already high pressure situation. And another thing that I've always told myself was that pressure's a privilege. It's in, and you wanted to be in this position. Now it's here. Don't make it any more stressful than it already is. So for me to be able to learn how to stay calm, keep the heart rate down, it was definitely a big, a big learning moment for me. You got any tricks?
5: that you do specifically? I know you guys work with mental coaches uh, to keep your heart rate at, at a lower level. Is it just about
7: breathing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was it started at my my debut in Seattle was, I knew as long as I kept my eyes on the field, it felt like the same game. Um, I did notice after I came out of that start, when I went back in the dugout, Then I started looking around. I was like, "Oh wow, this is a lot lot of people. It's loud, right? (laughs)
5: There's there's another deck at this
7: stadium." (laughs) So, that was a big trick that I told myself was just as long as I kept my eyes on the field, I was good. Dave, how how do you help guys relax?
6: Just tell them to breathe. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. You breathe, you relax, and just embrace this moment, man. I mean, not everybody get a chance to be in the playoffs. You know, there's. And just embrace it because it could happen once and it and again it could never happen but it could happen once it never happened again so embrace it you know take it for what it is yes that's a it's a pressure situation you know but still it's still baseball
5: Uh, jp kind of touched on this but i think a lot of people whether it's a position player somebody in another sport or a pitcher one of the biggest problems they have is trying to do too much sometimes. How do you calm yourself and back off enough to be able to just uh, maybe not try to throw as hard as you can every pitch, but to back off and uh, find other ways to be more
3: efficient?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think you just got to stay within yourself and trust trust what you do well. Um, and in the coaching staff and the and the pitching coaches, they do they do a great job. And Malden, excuse me. <laughs> Maldi was here. He did great. Diaz is the same way. They keep you within yourself. They keep you, you know, on on the objective and and don't let you get too big. All
5: right. Last thing. You get through the, the minor leagues and everybody says, you know, it's easier to get to the big leagues than it is to stay. So what do you have to do to stay in the major leagues now?
7: The short answer is just get outs. Right, as long as you're getting guys out, you're gonna stay. Um, The long answer is I just gotta know what I do well and just evolve as the game's evolving. Cause the game's always gonna change. You're always gonna have to change or tweak some stuff during the season. So to be able to do what you already do good, but know that, hey, I might have to tweak some stuff during the season that may benefit me more than it has in the past. So that would probably be the biggest thing is just learning to change as the game goes on, but at the same time, do what I know what I can do.
5: Very good. Dave, what would you tell a a younger version of yourself, uh, second or third year in the major leagues, what would you tell yourself?
6: Don't rush the process. You know, the game is played one pitch at a time, one hit at a time, one out at a time. Just don't rush it. Embrace it. Learn from your mistakes and just keep after it because it's a beautiful game. It's been a beautiful game for a long time, you know, and it's up to us as players and coaches to keep the game good. And I think sometimes when you're younger, you don't realize that, you know, you just go play. Yeah. And, and you don't get, you don't have that time to reflect, as you do as you get older, because I can remember that 20, 21 year old kid playing in the big leagues, and if I could tell him something today, just embrace it, embrace the moment.
5: It's a good one, and I'll end it with this to, to Hunter. I mean, you're in the middle of it, just like Dave said, but I just I'm just going to ask you this flat flat out: What's the best part about being a major leaguer? Other than the paycheck, what's what's the best part?
8: Honestly, like being a starting pitcher, I get to watch a lot of baseball. And don't get me wrong, playing is by far my absolute favorite. But to be in the dugout and see guys like Jordan and you know Altuve, and I mean the list goes on and on. But getting a chance to watch these guys day in and day out, I mean it's still there's still that fan in me that really enjoys it. And I'm going to the big league ballpark every day. I mean it doesn't get better than that.
5: That's right, doesn't get any better than that. Hey, let's let's give these guys a hand. JP France, Dave Clark, Hunter Brown. uh, A long journey to the major league sometimes, but it pays off. And congratulations to you guys, and thanks for joining us. Appreciate
7: it, man.
0: Thanks, guys. Share the excitement of Astros baseball all season long with 2024 Astros season tickets. When you buy season tickets, you lock in access to 2024 opening day tickets versus the New York Yankees, postseason tickets, and every game in between. That's all the plays, all the giveaways and all the excitement, all live from your seats at Minute Maid Park. For all the great benefits of being an Astros season ticket holder and to secure your seats, visit astros.com/season tickets or call 713-259-8402 today.
4: As a reminder, you can visit the Astros Center Field Team Store for the latest and the best Astros gear in Houston. From jerseys and caps to authentics and collectibles, the Centerfield Team Store has all fans covered. It's located at Crawford Street and Congress. The Astros Centerfield Team Store open Monday through Saturday. Check out astros.com teamstore for hours, then plan your next visit to Minute Maid Park and the Astros Centerfield Team
9: Store. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of Astro Line. My name is Francisco Romero, alongside Alex Ravigno welcome to Astroline. first of all alex how are
10: you nice to see you again uh frank uh, we're rolling we uh we can't wait to start uh the 2024 uh season and hopefully uh it's gonna be a good one
9: it's gonna be a good one but what, what was very good was uh renee cardenas being voted into the astros uh, hall of fame that was started a few years ago so we are very happy to have with us a special guest renee cardenas who has just been voted into the Astros Hall of Fame. René, welcome to AstroLine. Congratulations on being voted, getting inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame. How are you? How's that feeling? Uh, We saw you during FanFest. How are you feeling right now as the new member that has been voted in for the Astros Hall
3: of Fame? Francisco and Alex, a pleasure to be talking to you fellows. I am very glad and very happy that you two are here. The time that I spent in the festival was just Fantastic. I love it. Everybody was happy. Everybody was just singing and congratulating everybody and hugging everybody. It was like a brand new day. I thought it was in I thought it was in glory.
9: Tell us how you got to this point. You were you've been a trailblazer. History in the making with René Cardenas. You were the first Spanish broadcaster ever to be hired full-time by a baseball team. How did that happen? Uh, You're from Nicaragua, but tell us how you got to be the first Spanish broadcaster in a Major League Baseball team.
3: Well, I was living in Los Angeles when I decided to talk to a radio station in Pasadena, California, KWKW, about broadcasting the games in Spanish to almost two million Spanish-speaking people in the city of Los Angeles. Now that the Dodgers were just coming from Brooklyn to the uh, city of Los Angeles, Uh, He didn't know anything about baseball, but he was a good businessman. So we decided to go and talk to Walter O'Malley. We talked to Walter about the idea. He loved the idea. And he said, that would be great. Maybe through the broadcast, we can get a Spanish pitcher. And there was Fernando Valenzuela. So that was the beginning uh, of that. But I, I knew that after the broadcast, was a success after the first year. Then, all the ball clubs follow the uh, same format. All the ball clubs were creating Spanish broadcasts all over. I don't know exactly how many altogether, but maybe more than thirteen or fourteen teams doing Spanish broadcasts. And I am glad. And they told me, "Oh, you opened the doors. Okay, fine. I'm I'm happy that I opened the door." It was it was a uh, it, it was uh, a pleasure. To do it, and now everybody is working in Spanish, and the Spanish fans in the United States are being very well informed through this broadcast through the years.
10: Rene, I know you for uh, a lot of years, and and I was uh, very uh, excited to hear that uh, you're going to be uh, the Astros Hall of Fame. I would like to just talk a little bit. How big of a deal is this at this point, and how we stand? On the not only Spanish broadcast, but you know, out of the major sports, if you're looking at the Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, uh, NFL, almost 30% of the players at this moment, you're talking about in 2024, around 30% of the players are Hispanic. And of course now Rene says that he was a pioneer on the broadcasting side but uh, I will say about 15 or 20 teams they do some kind of uh, Spanish broadcast It is a big deal of what's happening that on on the on the Hispanic uh, side all that talent of a Spanish or uh, Latin players, but but uh, on the broadcasting side
3: well it was very interesting uh, to tell you the truth in those years 58, 59 and 60 there were only few both players in the major league from uh, Spanish speaking countries. Only few were supposed to do a pregame show or postgame shows with one fellow being interviewed, one ball player. There were not very many ball players to choose from. There were only a few. San Francisco used to come with Orlando Zepeda, and that was it. Then uh,
10: Marichal. There were a lot of Cubans first.
3: Yes. But then... there are only a few in the Major League that stays in the Major League. Yeah. So the most wonderful thing that happen in baseball in the United States is the acquisition of all these great young fellows in Spanish America, Mexico, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean Island. There are thousands of young ball players. And the Major League are getting now all these ball players into the United States. Now it is wonderful. You can go down on the field and you can choose anybody you want. Probably at 30% or 40% of many of the ball clubs are Spanish-speaking players. It's very easy to do interviews now. So imagine not only the broadcast increased, but the number of Spanish ball players increased enormously. And that is a fabulous thing that's happening right now.
10: Yeah, now, I, now I know why uh, anytime we play the Dodgers or when I was with the Dodgers, Joe was uh, was looking for me to do an interview <laughs> uh, another question uh, uh, rene there's a, a partner of yours by the name of jaime harin uh, i'm I'm a little confused uh, when you got to the dodgers first is jaime harin was there already or are you the one who brought jaime harin
3: no not at all uh, he wasn't there and i didn't bring him at all My first uh, counterpart in the broadcast was a DJ on the station because there was nobody else available. And the DJ said that he knew baseball and he he didn't know very much baseball. That after the first year, there were so many complaints in letters to the station about this mother fellow. Owner of the radio station, Mr. William Beatle, came to me and said, Rene, we have a problem with your partner. uh, Milt Nava will not be with you the following year. I want to know if we be okay with you. If I can send you a young fellow, he doesn't know anything, about it, and you teach him. And I said, well, fine. Okay. So they decided that uh, Jaime Harry, who was doing news for the station, was going to be my partner. So he came in 1959, one year later. He asked me one million questions, and one million questions I answered. I show him how to score. I show him how to do a lot of things. He copied, of course, the way of talking baseball.
10: Did you train him?
3: Completely, yes. It took me uh, years. He he couldn't do half an inning at the beginning. I think it was in the second or third year that I let him have the microphone. He, he always did one inning, and he was always afraid. You know, it's logical for a person who's learning something, especially in the job. I used to do the whole nine innings because he couldn't do anything because he was learning. And that will happen to anybody who's learning. I left the Dodger after four years, and then I named the fellow who followed me for 10 years until that fellow died. Jose Garcia died, and then Jaime was all by himself. And then he picked up another fellow, and then that the rest is history. He uh, became a very good man, liked by a lot of people, and uh, he was a success. He became a uh, member of the Hall of Fame at Cooperstown.
9: When you left the Dodgers to come to the the Colt 45s, so you've seen the stadium for the Colt 45, the Astrodome, Minute Park. You've been in all three stadiums here. I'm sure there's a lot of great memories. But one that i like to for you to tell me is that you were not only a broadcaster, but you were also a model. Talk to me a little bit about
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I remember. George uh, Hofheim was... Uh, a man of great vision. He introduced to the ballpark many new things in a cold stadium, a little baseball park that he built before the afternoon. He liked colors. The variation of colors called people, called the attention of people. So he decided that everybody should be uniform. The fellow who collect the money in the parking lot, the fellow who directs the cars were to park, the girls who was taking the people to their seats and the persons uh, who worked in the bar and the person who worked fixing the, the field. A lot of uniforms, a lot, a lot of people. And then they needed a, a model <laughs> uh, for those uniforms. They didn't look for professional people. They, they decided to use their own people. Me in that case, if I remember very well, for girls. We picked up Miss Call Forty Five, a beautiful little girl who was selected Miss Call Forty Five. The the uniforms for the girls, and then I posed for about six or seven uniforms, and I, <laughs> I look funny to me in those years, and still look funny to me right now. But the Houston Chronicle has those pictures.
9: Two questions in one: What does the Astros mean to you, and what does this golden era? mean to you of the Astros going uh, to 7th Street um, American League Championships and winning two World Series in the last few years. The Golden Era has been a main many Park, and the Astrodome was very iconic. At one point, it was the eighth wonder of the world.
3: Well, <clears throat> that's a long story. At the beginning, it was a nightmare. I say a nightmare because all these ball players were players that many of the other ball clubs didn't want to have. So they get rid of it, you know, contributing to the new franchise of the National League. The Call 45, they sent all these players. Harry Kraft, the manager, did his best in order, you know, to make a good team, but it was impossible. They never win game. They were losing constantly, losing ridiculous baseball games and things like that. You know, we all suffer. Now, after so many years of losing, things change, administrations change. And every time a new administration came in, got something better, and the ball club got better, better. Until now, in the last administration, we end up with a great ball club. And I think somebody in the organization said we want to work with this ball player, with this ball club, so the ball players in the future will feel proud to work the uniform of the Astros. So that is the golden era to me. You know, so many championships and things like that on the all the uh, symbols you can see on the wall, on the stadium, all the championship that we that we have won. But in my first few years, I suffer but 24 hours a day. Sometimes <laughs> I even cry when I saw the book club not being able to win in games in those years.
9: Any particular player that you are fond of or manager? Any particular that, that you that you just remember? Uh, from uh, from uh, uh, a particular season of the after that you broadcasted that, that you can recall?
3: Yes. One ball player that I really liked was Cesar Cedeño. Cesar Cedeño, to me, was a great ball player. Uh, every time that I saw Cesar Cedeño play, I remember, I, I thought about Roberto Clemente. Never exactly like Roberto Clemente, but as close as possible that I saw a ball player close to Roberto Clemente, was César Zelleno. Yeah.
10: A lot of people compare him with uh, Willie Mays huh? at that time. Another question. When you started, when you were trying to build a broadcasting team, when the franchise was starting, 62. Uh, tell me, tell us again who was your partner and how about you end up... Heredium? Yeah, Guernam.
3: Well, after I decided to accept the proposal from Judge o fine to come from the Dodgers to the Call 45s. He said, I'm very busy as you see me building a stadium, doing a lot of things. Your first task, since that you're working for me now, your first task will be uh look for your own partner. If you have any problems in the process, please let me know. I said, fine. So immediately I thought of this gentleman that I had met in the Winter ball in Nicaragua because I used to go to work to broadcast winner ball every year after the season in Nicaragua. He was from Cuba. He was the dean of the announcers uh, in Havana, Cuba. But there was a revolution in Cuba. So he escaped from Cuba into Venezuela and he went to work as a broadcaster with the Caracas Baseball Club. I know the, I know the owner, you know Oscar Prieto. And then uh, I lo- was looking for him, and I said, "I understand he's working for you." Yes, yeah, working. For you. He gave me the telephone number. I call Orlando. I offer him the job. He said, "Yes, I would love to come to work for you guys." But my past, my Cuban passport is old. My working American working visa is also not good anymore, and uh, I am as a refugee here in this country because they are very nice and they are taking me but I cannot go anywhere with that passport. I okay, I said, stay there. So I told George Huffington, this is the problem I have. He said, turn around to his secretary and he said, call the Blair House. In those years, 1962, I did not know what the Blair House was. But later on, I found out that's where the vice president of the United States lived in Washington. So he said, "Uh, I want to talk to Lyndon. In a few minutes, Lyndon, Johnson, the Vice President of the United States, talking on the phone to George Hoffe. They talked about know, business and politics, because I believe George Hofein was a great help to the campaign of Lyndon B. Johnson for Vice President. And then he explained the same story to, to Mr. Johnson. And he said, okay, tell Orlando, that Johnson tell Hoffe, tell Orlando to go tomorrow the American Embassy about 10 o'clock in the morning and bring all his papers. Two days later, I was at a hobby airport here in Houston waiting for Orlando. He entered to the Golden Gate, the United States. He was a great announcer with the Houston Astros for many years.
9: That's a great story. You'll be inducted in the Hall of Fame in in August. Also, you and Alex broadcasted games and you also called Alex's game when when he was with the the Dodgers.
10: I know Rene, who? since late 70s. And of course, uh, we've been friends for that long. René, you've been living in Houston all your life, eh? since since you came, uh, what, that uh, early 60s, am I right? In 1962,
3: I came uh, to work for the Houston Colts.
10: Yeah, when you were with the
9: Dodgers, you would go back and forth then?
3: yeah, Oh yes, uh, I stay in Houston. My family grew up here in Houston. My kids grew up in Houston, loving Houston, become Texans, and then My wife loves Houston. I love Houston. And we have been staying here since 1962. And we'll stay here forever.
9: Well, René, thank you very much for joining us in AstroLine, the special edition. And, no, we will see you in August during the induction to the Hall of Fame.
2: And that's going to do it. Thanks again for joining us on Astro Line. Always a pleasure having you here, and always a pleasure being with you here. Special thanks to Matt Boltz, our radio engineer, and a quick reminder that we'll have more shows live from West Palm Beach, Florida. That's right, beginning on February 23rd, so be sure to come see us at Duffy Sports Grill on Clematis Street. You can also check out Astros.com for other dates and show times. And believe it or not, just 23 days until the spring opener. Robert Ford and Steve Sparks will have that for you right here on 790, while Todd Callis, Julie Morales, and myself will be calling the action live on Space City Home Network. So make sure you tune in. Don't forget to check out the Astraline podcast for extended interviews and bonus tracks as well. This has been a special edition of Astro Line, the official off-season show of your Houston Astros right
1: here on Sports Talk 790. See y'all later. Come out to Minute Maid Park March 1st through 3rd for the 2024 Astros Foundation College Classic. This three-day tournament will feature some of the top baseball programs in the country. Get your tickets and show off your school pride as Texas, Vanderbilt, Houston, Louisiana, Texas State, and defending national champions LSU. Battle it out at Minute Maid Park. For ticket options and more information, visit astros.com slash college classic. Share
0: the excitement of Astros Baseball all season long with 2024 Astros Season Tickets. When you buy season tickets, you lock in access to 2024 opening day tickets versus the New York Yankees postseason tickets and every game in between. That's all the plays, all the giveaways, and all the excitement. All live from your seats at Minute Maid Park. For all the great benefits of being an Astros season ticket holder and to secure your seats, visit Astros.com season tickets or call 713 259 8402 today.
9: See you later!